0: everybody welcome to this episode of Inside Insights a podcast powered by Zappy My name is Ryan and I'm joined as always by Patricia Montestioca our head of customer transformation and my dear friend Patricia what up?
1: What up dude how's it going I'm enjoying the fall weather How about you
0: hell yeah there's so there's a tree outside my window that turns the most beautiful color of salmon not by design because that's our uh, one of our branding colors or even though it's coral but it hasn't changed yet all the other leaves are, it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And we're having lovely fall weather here in New England. Um, I've been riding my bike, doing stuff outside with my kids, doing a little jack-o'-lantern dance, you know, all the fall stuff. Maybe I'll even bust out some orange flannels this weekend and really get into the groove.
1: Damn. It's a
0: That's beautiful cool.
1: thing. It is. It's a beautiful
0: thing. So I'm excited about this interview um, because, so I, I've i met James Sallows, today's guest, twice. Um, we, we do a bit of business with GSK, um, across the world and James was brought in I want to say two and a half years ago with a really cool job to overhaul their capabilities as a holistic function so his official job title is global head of transformation and capabilities consumer and business analytics and insights so he's trying to change a lot um, and the truth is I had a conversation with him and we geeked out about panel representativeness
1: uh-huh.
0: uh, for about an hour and I was like, I really like this guy, he's really smart. And so I was, I was hell bent on getting him on season three.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: think GSK is going through a massive evolution as a company, you know, splitting their pharma and their consumer business, but, but also uh, really trying to elevate their game as an insights function. And uh, so he's been in the job for about two years mm-hmm. and I just wanted to hear him share his story. So that's what we got in store today um, and I'm excited. Should we just get into this damn thing? Let's do it. James, really happy to talk to you today. Thanks for making the time. So, James, I, w- we're going to talk a lot about transformation in this conversation, but I want to dive right in, and, and I, I was saying this to you before we hit record. I don't usually like to do a big background story, but I'm, I'm compelled with your background because you've worked in, I think, every lens this industry's got to offer. So take me take our audience through a little bit your background because I think it's fascinating for your background to sit in a role of head of transformation and capability at GSK.
2: No worries, way way to go to make me feel old from the start of the interview.
0: Right? <laughs> you look great, by the way. Nobody's going
2: to see us on video, but you look young. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it's yeah it's interesting. So I um, I started out in in research actually building the first online panels that were being built in Europe back in kind of must be 2000. I was on a uh, work placement at a startup who was copying essentially the Greenfield model from the US um, in Paris. So I spent quite a while there building up their business for a company that was Novatris that's now Harris Interactive. And then I was actually um, headhunted by WPP Cantor at the time because we were their panel supplier because so they didn't have anything. And so I then moved to Lightspeed Research within Cantor where I spent you know, nine or 10 years sort of building up the, the external business, so the, the beyond Cantor business there. And even at that time, sort of pushing for the ideas around quality recruitment, quality surveys, you know, what it really means, and already pushing back against all those catty surveys that we just threw online, right? um, Back then.
1: (laughs) We sure did.
2: Um, Yeah, but then then I thought, hey, you know, you can't really influence enough being the supplier. So I moved into the agency. So I went into Ipsos. I spent a few years at Ipsos, a few years at Ipsos working uh, in ASI, looking at again sampling. Um, looking at rebuilding some of the products um, to be faster to market and those kind of things and, and really again tackling a lot of panel quality and, and, and sample problems but again I suppose I kind of felt like you can't influence enough um, so I went agency side actually and I joined a media agency actually in between I was at Slesinger also sorry launching their online business um, for a few years um, but then I went to a media agency where I was chief insight officer for the um, IPG group so Universal McCann and, and, and um, Initiative you know when you're in what I call a non researchy researcher you get to break the rules. And what was really interesting there is that we could do stuff differently. We didn't have the legacy of history and, uh, you know, all these trackers that we'd never touched and all these kind of things. You know, there was an opportunity to actually do things differently, which was really enjoyable, really fast paced. You know, when people talk now about kind of agile research, you kind of go there and say well, what we were achieving there in weeks, you know, it takes months um, in, in, a, in a research business. And then um, I actually took a break And we went traveling with my baby daughter at the time. Uh, We did a round-the-world trip and chance to reflect, as you always do. Yeah, we took with 18 months old around the world. It was quite a challenge, but a good one. And then when I came back, I had the opportunity to join GSK. And GSK, as a client, in my mind, were this, you know, very kind of static, not very fast-moving, you know, farmer. What was really interesting when I started talking to them is that the business was preparing itself for another phase, which was to split into two. And so when I look back over my history, a lot of it was driving new products, new approaches, partnering with media agencies, building things differently, challenging. Actually working at GSK to map what that future looked like um, was something I thought was really exciting. So the opportunity to be a client, as you say, kind of going around that loop, the experience you've got from these different areas, I find allows you to be a more pragmatic, but also more innovative because you know what's feasible. So you're not shooting for the, the stars and missing you kind of know more or less what's doable with the different agencies. And when you partner, I think there's also kind of more of a mutual respect that you've kind of been in each other's shoes. And so you get it right. So, so that's where I'm at the moment at GSK leading this sort of transformation to be a new uh, insights function. but also being a totally new business. I mean, how often do you get to map the future of a huge, massive consumer business that's going to be launched to the market, which is already starting off with all the brands that we have? You know, it's a pretty much a unique opportunity but we're seeing it as an opportunity to change ourselves, but also to kind of push out the industry as well and try and move everything forwards, because there's a real need, um, I think, for change in many areas.
0: Yeah. You're, so before we talk business, what was the favorite place you visited on your on your around the world tour? Uh, but You've got to give me a topic. If it was culture shock and food, it was Japan. OK. If it was
2: natural beauty, natural beauty New Zealand. For living in minus 17 degrees, Toronto.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: Toronto. <laughs> um, I honestly, uh, this, is, but this is what I find amazing. And I think it's a bit, you, know, you can find amazing things in different places. So if ever I get asked those questions, it's like, well, tell me through, through what lens? Yeah. And I think that's, that's the important thing. And actually, you know, it's the same work in different streams of work, which is you can always find that piece of passion, that interesting bit, but it's not all the same, right? So yeah, the trip, the trip I think the overall trip was the experience. Sharing the pictures with my daughter now, who doesn't really remember at the time, but is now building up those memories with us. Um, I think that's really the uh, the amazing bit.
0: Kudos to you for for having the foresight to do that. I mean, what an incredible (laughs) experience. So your your job title, Head of Transformation and Capability, everybody knows GSK as a pharma business and some big mainstay consumer brands, but the intention to split them essentially, as you say, gives you this opportunity to become a major CPG player and operating with new rules than perhaps you used to so what does the future of Insights look like from your perspective? So what's the outcome that you seek on the other side of this? You and I are having this call in five years. Hopefully it's over a beer, but what, what does it look like? Tell me some of the bigger things that you, that you think need to systemically change.
2: Yeah, and I think it's strange. So I think, again, if you'd asked the question two years ago, I'd have given you some different answers, which I think mm-hmm. is a good sign. Um, we, we, we've embarked on some pretty substantial projects to review exactly this question and decide where we want to head. And one of the key things is when we started off, everyone was telling us we had to be data driven and we were kind of sitting there going, we get it, but really like, is that it? Like, is that, you know, the the data driven itself, like just putting everything together and hoping, you know, field of dreams, build it and hope you find something in it. Didn't really resonate with our view of insights because our view of insights was if you want to be at the top table and you're going to be a partner, then you have to behave like a partner. What you can't do is just bring numbers or a dashboard or, you know, some observations or something to those discussions, you've got to come with a strong point of view, you've got to come with a recommendation for action um, as an insights partner. And so our focus in our transformation has been around building and linking those data sets when it's linked to a use case. So working really from use, business use cases back and we've already built in the last year, we've already built two bespoke products within GSK that were mapped during that phase but then the other thing with the capability part of my role is really saying well how do we get our people ready to fill that gap um, investing in your people and really pushing back to what insights professionals should be which is those people who are able to give advice you know the industry laments how much you know consultancies are taking away business from us and the fact is you know we're very good at commoditizing ourselves and when you're commoditized you're you're an easy target and so we have a real focus on um, bringing that insights layer back um, and empowering people to actually go into processes, into meetings, into discussions, our innovation process and with insights being seen as a lead, but also leading um, and having the skill sets to do so. So for me, it's that combination of yes to being, you know, we, we kind of say um, data fueled, but insights driven. So, yes, the data's there. Yes, we are linking together our data sets. Yes, we've got huge tech projects to bring these things together. But where we have an identified business case. But then focusing on, well, what's the insights layer on top? Um, you know, where is it that our people are adding that value to partner into the business? But we're very lucky because we are positioning ourselves as this um, new consumer business. But we also have a CMO and a leadership team who fully support this because our, one of our key enablers of the new business is called out publicly as deeper human understanding. And it's not deep human understanding because you can achieve that through data it's deeper human understanding. There's always a forward action in there, which is to always look for more and always find the links. So I feel really reinforcing that the human element of this on top of all of the things we can bring in to be more efficient, have more data. I really think that's the way forwards for us because that's what enables decision-making in the business.
0: I'm I'm inspired by your answer because as you know, um, I run a software company and the amount of times I have people call and say, Um, we just had McKinsey come in, we need to do X, can we buy a subscription? And it's just like, what are you hoping to achieve? You can't throw tech at a problem and expect it to solve itself. So I think working working from people in makes a lot of sense. So let me ask you a question. The the deeper human understanding or the C-suite buy-in, there's a constant from where I sit, which is if the C-suite and the board aren't bought in, and you're a you're a customer centric leader you probably should go look somewhere else but maybe that's too negative of a point of view how how did that buy-in come about and what was what were some of the steps that you needed to take perhaps with other members of your team to solidify no 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 it's not just data it's the now what component um, and, hmm. and the reason I ask you this question first because I, I think in particularly in bigger companies if it's if the space is created by the executive team then things happen differently than if it's not um, so Take me through a little bit of that. Was that just there and in, in, inherent, or was that something that you really had to push for?
2: I think it's a combination of both. I think the desire for the business to be consumer-led was always there from the outset for the new business. But the difference, I think, is that we as a collective team, so the CBIA, the Insights Analytics team, saw the opportunity. And in my view, personally, is you don't wait for someone else to define what that means. You, you go out and you define it. Um, because whilst you know, the words and the titles and the intention is there, the reality of what it means on the ground is, you know, is it's up to us. And so we moved very, very quickly um, to actually go out and establish what this means. We actually went out and did a whole lot of work around what does a future insights organization look like from products, people, capabilities. It was an 18 week project that honestly would normally be something like two years of work in a corporate. And I think, you know, this using more agile approaches to working. Um, which we absolutely did, we managed to just rack through this stuff really quickly and come out with very much soliciting views from across the business, consolidating them and coming back with a point of view. And if you come back with a strong point of view that's evidence-based, especially, now, as I say, we're lucky enough to have a C-suite that's already receptive, of course, but you then get um, traction. Um, You know, and our our CMO, Tamara Rogers, you know, she is, I always joke that she's actually a researcher, um, you know, disguised as a CMO because she's so passionate about the work we do and so passionate about this human understanding piece but you know you've got to you've got to step into that space um, and you've got to own it and you've got to define it if we'd spent the last year continuing to behave in the way that we had in the past um, then I don't think we'd have had the legitimacy to continue moving up as we are to being a more strategic partner um, I think the work we've done around you know re- re- helping revisit the innovation process uh, upscaling our own skill sets within our teams. So really building that capability, not waiting for the new business to be launched, but in that interim, the last 18 months really focusing on it. I think that's where you set yourselves up because what people really want is confidence. They want to know that when you say, hey, Insights, we want to be strategic partners. So in two years, it's just going to magically happen. No, you know, we've got groundwork that we're doing between now and then to get us there. So you know, receptive, yes, the C-suite, you need that to be there. You need that buy-in, you need that support. Um, but I also think you need to be uh, yeah, brave enough and strong enough as an insights function to step into the void um, and not just stay in the comfy space of maybe where you have been in the past.
0: Yeah, this, that, that's really refreshing, right? So, so nobody, nobody's in their right mind not having some vernacular on their brand values about being consumer obsessed. I think what, I, what I'm hearing from you is that you, you folks saw an opportunity to define those words and to assert what they meant and to lead from the front. And, and we'll talk about people in a minute, because obviously that is uh, not necessarily the trait you'd articulate as the typical insights persona. Mm-hmm. Um, you said something a few minutes ago of not being an insights person's insights person or something to that effect. Not
2: researchy researcher.
0: <laughs> yeah, so what is it, not being a researchy researcher? So I'll be honest with you. That always that resonates with me because I, I would I would identify in that, and I I have never had an issue calling on sacred cows because of that. And so it's a it's a it's a really uh, I guess a good place to be in. But I, I think the most important thing of what you said here is you did the discovery, you were proactive, and then you're actually doing stuff to to, to provide confidence. So the C suites bought in. You folks go and do a bunch of discovery. Having that space created by Tomorrow is incredible, but on the ground, in the teams, in the categories, what are some of the bigger shifts that you see in terms of ways of working between a proactive, now what focused insights team and a brand team who's trying to quickly move and drive their p I guess, what are some of the behavior changes that you see needed within the ways of working between marketing and insights or, or innovation and insights?
2: Yeah, I think the first one is that it's got to be joined up. So the the kind of the aspirations and the goals of the marketeers have to be joined up with the insights function, and I think that drive towards brand building as well as short term um, results, you have to get that balance right because otherwise, as much as you might want to, you know, do all these wonderful deeper you know ethnography, human understanding projects, if the only criteria of success is the sales this month, then ultimately you get dragged back into that um, yeah, kind of reporting abyss, right? So. For me, that balance already between the marketeers being asked to plan for the future as well as the immediate is one of the things that gives you that space. So when we looked at, for example, our innovation process, uh, without going to too much detail, I mean, we we basically rebuilt it to give it space. And that space meant that the marketeers and the insights people stepped in together to spend an extended period together on consumer discovery. It wasn't, the, it wasn't the insights function to bring it all to the table and say, hey you go, off you go now and work your magic. That leaning in on partnership is really key. Um, and I think when we look at, you know, where, where it works, it's where those teams have similar outcomes. The other thing I think is really important is to encourage innovation. So we have a few brand or category teams in our business who you can count on the fact that they're going to be the ones out there doing some kind of, you know, little sort of skunk works or special project or just a cool idea they've had. And it's brilliant and you've got to reward that and you've got to make it visible instead of it being like a naughty behavior. Um, it's actually a, an encouraged behavior to innovate on the margins, right? To actually play around, see what you find and bring it back to the team. And I think as an organization, as we started to become more global as Insights, the fact that we're sharing those best practices, we're encouraging discovery. We're making it easier to work with newer, more innovative suppliers, which was always a challenge for our business because it's wrapped up so much in the farmer um, compliance Um, all of those things already just create an environment. Um, And I always used to call it like permission to play. You know, it creates an environment where, well, you know, you're okay, right? If you want to go out and try something a bit different, you know, we're we're okay with that. Um, And we encourage teams to do it and encourage them to step out. Um, So we've seen much more work around kind of, you know, agile methods. We've seen different ways of looking at copy testing. Um, We've seen loads more work around um, behavioral science really starting to come into the business and influence us. Um, And that's just great. You know, it's great to see people stepping forwards and just going to different areas, but knowing in a way, it's almost like you get to the stage where they know they have the support uh, across the team for just, you know, pushing into different areas, but you've got to live it, right? So the way that you talk as a leadership team, the way that you communicate out to the broad community, you have to be seen to be encouraging those things, but also to invite the marketeers in. So in some of our capability building that we do as a CBIA team, we're actually training marketeers at the same time. So it's not an us and them; it's things that we do collectively as well in certain areas, and I think that's also key.
0: Yeah, that is that is really key. I, mean, I think one of the things that inspires me most about your answer is the permission to play component, because I think one of the, one of the things that I I am always stressed about as a business person myself, but also as somebody who serves the you know the big businesses of the world, is the short term linear thinking that plagues us quarter to quarter, month to month. And it is so easy to just get back into Q4 earnings. Um, and, and to your point, the words you say and then the behaviors you exhibit will actually define people's actions on the ground. And so giving them space to fail, to step in, to step in it, right, I think is such an important cultural trait for businesses in the future because we don't know what we don't know about today's, today's world and tomorrow's world and how exponentially different it's going to be. Uh, so I, I, give, I give you a lot of credit for, for that. I think it's... There's one it, thing to add to that I'd yeah, say, Ryan,
2: as well, which is I think the fact that um, the leadership team also created the function that I manage, the transformation capability, and actually invest in it and fund it also shows that clear intention, which is transformational function isn't something that just happens by osmosis, right? It's something that we actually invest in. Um, and capability building isn't us telling you that you need to be a strategic advisor in a year. It's actually us helping you get there. And I think that also sends a clear message that if you're ready to actually um, invest and prioritize these things, again, you're creating an environment where people realize, actually, that's not a hobby. It's not something that's just going to happen the day before we launch the new business. It's something we're actually committed to investing in. So, uh, you know, I think it goes a lot, a lot deeper about that, creating that comfort and that environment and and showing that clear intention that you have. So I know, for example, our um, our CMO has gone to conferences and she's been asked to talk about a handful of topics and she's regularly selected topics that have come from our team as demonstrating transformation but I think for us that's really powerful because it shows again that we have that 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 support and that environment even beyond our team um, where it's encouraged so so yeah there's 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 many layers to it to build there's not an easy answer but you can start with you know small things
0: yeah that I, I, you're right there isn't an easy answer but I, I think What you're doing from the outside is working, because I've had a couple of random interactions with people in your organization who work closer to P&Ls, and they're consistent in the alignment of what you're doing, which with all the love in the world to a lot of centers of excellence and transformation teams is unique. Um, A lot of times it's ivory tower pushing things out, and then the business people aren't feeling heard. Um, so I, I think I, I think what you're saying here is early and often listening, showing, setting intentions, um, and then delivering right, like actually delivering on these things is is, is key. Um, so let's let's talk a little bit about people. So we 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 talked in this we talked about uh, insights people needing to behave like a partner to to bring the now what into meetings. What are what are you seeing in that space? Like what what are some of the bigger Behavior changes you feel we need to drive up skills we need to drive or things we need to unlearn as a, as an industry.
2: We need to I suppose get more comfortable with the fact that we shouldn't be bringing data and, and dashboards to these conversations. Um, that we've got to have a point of view, um, and I think that's how we're getting respected and getting into partnership with the other functions. We started out by actually defining what is an insight for GSK, coming out with a GSK specific definition of what's an insight, and how is that strength tested. Um, and then having an expectation that across all of our teams, anything that we bring that we say is an insight has to pass the test, because otherwise it's not an insight. It's an observation. It's a data point. It's interesting, but it's not an insight. Um, and also asking our vendors uh, and our partners, whenever they deliver something to us, that they also deliver with that format um, to give us some consistency. And the one thing that I spoke to you about bringing the marketeers in with the insights folks is that it's a shared um, definition that um, everyone works on so we have marketeers at the moment creating insights so you know we have hundreds of insights now in our insights bank that have been created over those intervening months um, and nearly everyone every single one of them probably has had some kind of marketeers hand on it at some point and some of them would have been created entirely by marketeers and not insight folks um, you know with the words democratization of insight are regularly used but actually it only becomes true if Anyone in the business is capable of creating an insight and identifying an insight, and stress testing whether what they're being told is an insight is an insight. So that's where we've really focused at the base level, because if you don't get the fundamentals right, then where do you go from there? You know, we could focus on loads of other things that we've now moved on to. We've moved on from there to now look at storytelling, to look at leveraging um, the rational and the irrational, the creative and the logical sides of your brain. You know, all these kind of things, but you can't build into those areas unless you have the solid base. So we really started with that and then moved up. And I think that's how we're getting that relationship set from the beginning with marketeers. And also it, it's starting to make, uh, it's starting to deliver a KPI around insights because you can also start to look at how often an insight is being used and also how insights travel across the business. So from being a brand first business, we are now an entire portfolio business. The shared learnings and the things that we need to do across that are very different. Um, and so we have to enable that. Um, through the creation of libraries and cards and, and that kind of you know, common approach that we build within our team, but also between our team and the marketers.
0: Wow. Okay. I, I'm fascinated by this. How many words do we say in business, and we all nod our heads and we agree with each other, but we actually have completely different understandings. I, I'm just like, I'm blown away by this baseline. Can you, are you willing to share with this audience what the GSK definition of an insight is?
2: I'm not sure I can share it. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's all right. We don't want you to get in trouble. So everybody's bought into this definition. No, I, th- I mean, there, there
2: is definition of insight. So uh, we use a construct, which is an either cause, but to actually build out the description of the insight. So what's the behavior? And then it has to have um, attention or an aspiration and a deeper human truth. So all of those things, and that sounds like a lot, Brian, but all of that goes into a single one page expression of an insight.
0: Wow. Okay. So, so what I like about this, and obviously, you can only share what you can share. So, um, and I appreciate you sharing what you have. My hypothesis is a very small percentage of the data you buy gets on a one pager. Am I right? Well, yeah, because data is not an insight. Ex- exactly. Um, and, and it's what I, I, I'm plagued by the word insights because I get data <laughs> thrown at me every day, and the amount of aha moments I have, I they're they're few and far between, right? I mean, you look at data
2: the insight is the space in between it's not the figure right it's it's the empty spaces and so when we push it and we say what's truly an insight it makes us think further and it doesn't mean by the way that a single number can't be an insight because it can as long as you've got the context that goes around it to explain it to someone else right but the number in itself saying 18 percent, means nothing um and i think that's the real challenge so you spoke about these words you know there's loads of these words around the business where You've got to be able to put your finger on it and say, OK, you can it can mean whatever it means to you. But for us, we want to be clear. And this is what it means. You can't have a whole function built around insights without having a common understanding of it. So that was our baseline. And it's something I really have had my heart set on doing. Again, it was just over a year ago. Um, and we've done that. And we've now I think we've rolled that out to something like I think I'm going to say something like 600 people in our business have already been through that in-depth training. Um, capability to do that Um, and we've run tens of brand events um, in terms of running through the innovation uh, process so and this is where also you're making that link between insights having impact on business because one of our biggest challenges is the more we commoditize ourselves the more we're low hanging fruit for cost reductions and the more the more we only provide a data point and not an observation and not an insight the further, are we away, the further away we are from business impact. And so if we start to own those spaces and drive those definition insight to redesign part of that innovation process, then we start to have um, a legitimacy in taking responsibility for the number of new concepts that get to our first stage gate, because we're now an integral part of that process. Whereas maybe in the past and in some businesses we'd hand over the insights to the marketeers who would you know make the magic happen. You know, in inverted commerce, um, it, it's about taking ownership and responsibility um, for those processes and therefore making yourself measurable. Um, which I think we're also we find very difficult for insights um, as an industry is you know how do you make your insights measurable? If X percent of new of products are being sold, how can you ever track that back to the work you did? Right. Um, so we're, we're starting to try and draw, you know, join those dots where we can by building these libraries, by building these cards, by joining data sets where we can, but also taking ownership for recommendations.
0: So is there a, is there a world, James, where an insights model, so clear ubiquitous definition of the word, it's a, some variant of an, an attention and aspiration that drives a deeper human truth, right? So what, however that manifests itself, is there a world where KPIs are centered around insights created or insights utilized as a more attributable metric for an insights person?
2: We, we already have that.
0: Fantastic.
2: Uh, when we talk about um, the number of new insight cards, but also um, in the new version of our systems, we'll be measuring how frequently they get used. So how, for how much they travel across the business by other people when we don't even know. So if you um, work on a project and upload it, It could be someone in a totally different market, a totally different category, leans on that insight because, you know, health and wellness is in many areas ubiquitous. And whether you're working on pain relief, uh, whether you're working on multivitamins um, or whether you're working on sensitive teeth, there are some human insights that will be the same for all of them. Um, It gives us the ability to make those things and enable those things to travel across the business.
0: So. So how do you, how do you get that sharing? Is this, you know, we, we haven't, we've made it this far without talking about technology. Maybe this is what gets us in there. Is this a, a knowledge management issue? Like the reason I ask you the question is everybody's trying to figure out why did I learn something in China that actually translates to Germany but I haven't brought it to Germany. So it, a bit of advice, how do you get that key one pager disseminated into someone's work stream 3000 miles away from where it was created?
2: Well, I don't think we've got the, the total answer yet to that. What we do have is we're building the platforms that enable it. So we already have in place our own knowledge management system. We've built, speci- we've built specific bespoke libraries to house these things that are entirely searchable. So one of the interesting things, Ryan, I found, for example, is um, you upload all your concepts into a library that you can share with all your colleagues, but they're in PDFs where you can't search by keywords. So unless you unpick some of those very basic things and say, it's all well and good saying we want this to travel, but if you're making me work to delve into documents to find it versus allowing me to type keywords uh, into a search bar and you give it to me, the former's is never going to happen. The former, you can pat yourselves on the back and say, we've put everything into a central repository, it's there. But our key has been make it searchable, so we've actually managed to switch all the formats into being searchable formats. We've standardized those formats. You know, this is the, um, the non-glamorous part of it, right, when you talk about things like transformation. Some of it is about basic building blocks. Yeah, um, it and so, hard. You know, yeah it's, it's hard and you've got to do it at the right time when a business is ready to do it. Um, you know, we are lucky in a way that our processes mean that everything we do has to be um, logged and noted and recorded in central system because of things like adverse events. And so that system has lent mm-hmm. itself to us saying, how do we use that to actually enable knowledge sharing and knowledge management? So we're not there yet. You know, we have a new version of our system that we'll be launching next year um, for this. But we've managed to uh, shoehorn, twist, turn and tweak the current system enough to make it work for now. But if we know we have an event going on in a certain market, one of the first actions is to say, go see what we know already. And actually, that's a key behavior change in the insights. You mentioned that before, but I didn't bring it up. It's that whole idea of the insight in plain sight. What do we already know? How do we spend our time and our budgets increasing what we know rather than repeating something that we may have done already I- somewhere. So that, that's also part of why that exists is to allow you to say, ah, and I always give an example, which um, I think is a great example, but it's not actually used in the business, which is the morning routine. So if I was to talk about, you know, your morning routine, right? You know, what do you do when you wake up? The fact is, if you're brushing your teeth, uh, taking regular pain relief, taking multivitamins, uh, all of those things, you're likely to be doing it as part of your morning routine. So any research that we may do, You may find in any of those categories, research about that morning routine, which is relevant for the others. And rather than that sitting
0: in a silo, how do you make it searchable? And that morning routine would be the search, not daily vitamin routine or whatever it is.
2: got nothing to do with it. You may find that one of our toothpaste uh, brands has done an amazing piece of work about how people get their their kids and their family ready in the morning. And that would become just as relevant for Centrum. 100%. That's
0: it. that's a really, uh, I, I hope everybody really picked that up from James. I mean, it particularly troubles me in portfolio companies that operate in multiple categories, how little we pay attention to the fact that we still sell all those products to James. <laughs> He's just living his life and we're trying to get into it. Um, wow, that's, a really, that's really quite cool.
2: As I said, in transparency, we're not fully there yet, but that's the right. path we're on. So, I think we have enough in place that what we're doing today is already miles better. Um, and we are enabling that knowledge transfer, but yeah, there's certainly more, more to do and more in the, um, more in the works.
0: But if, if you, if you have clarity of what, you know, in the, in the humility to say what you don't know, yeah. we, we won't be seeing Nielsen put 90% of new products fail in the first year if the world starts to behave this way. I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's really inspiring. I wanna go into one more ditch word, and then we might have time for our special <laughs> bonus topic, which you and I geeked out about twice already. We'll see. Um, if not, we'll have you back. You, you spoke about democratization. I think another word that is big, big and misunderstood. We're, we spoke a lot of, our meeting today has been mostly about elevating insights to be the now what, you know really focused on driving the business outcome. But there is BAU, copy testing, uh, tracking, concept test, whatever those things are that are sort of, we gotta do it, we wanna see how to make the ad better, if it's gonna be good, whatever those things are. Where do you draw the line in terms of where insights people stop doing and the doing becomes something a marketeer does so that an insights person can zoom out from the stat testing results? I guess, where does that line uh, exist in your brain?
2: For me, we are going down the road of saying that all of these things are a partnership, because I think we've we've seen where you might be looking at um, analytics or campaign performance as a marketeer, and there's no visibility of that to the insights team. And the challenge with that is we never close the loop. So we've really been on a mission to say actually all of that work needs to come into a single environment so that you can close the loop on some of these things, and so you don't have very distinct silos. So. Um, for me, I think it's a question of both both joining in the middle, both leaning in. So marketers will be looking at campaign performance, but certainly when we're running copy testing, and we'll work that that will be run entirely by our team. So I don't think there is a a clean cut. But the one thing that we are doing on things like copy testing um, is pushing for it actually to happen much further upstream, yeah. because then you get into the world of actually learning and deriving insights and taking actions, as opposed to um, just looking at copy that's nearly ready to go and tweaking it. Um, and I think that's with a lot of businesses, that's been one of the biggest errors, um, is that, you know, you test it, but you test it too late in the day to actually make a difference. 100%. Um, and so we have a focus on moving that up, um, upstream. Um, the one other thing I just want to touch on that before we talk about, you say, we you call the bonus topic. Um, when I was speaking about the capability building, one of the big things that we are doing, and I mentioned at the beginning is focusing in on the people in the team, right? So how are we actually, um, I suppose, giving different opportunities to insights folks, because one of the challenges we have is that we're a very flat industry um, and there's a lot of relentless work that happens at a certain level without necessarily, you know, not everyone could become a manager um, right. as well. Right.
1: Yep.
2: And yep. so we've been working a lot on saying, well, if you're gonna build an insights function that's gonna be a business partner, how do you keep your best people and how do you offer development paths that might be subject matter experts as well as managers? And so we've got a a whole academy that we've built that is kind of committed to to helping that growth across the whole organisation, which is about one hundred and fifty. But also we have a a cohort who've been nominated of fifteen as our high performers, high potentials, who we've put into an accelerated development program, where we're actually working with them to understand their own personal goals and aims, and providing them with coaching and mentorship. And the real, the real, I suppose, desire we have here is to prove that actually there are different roles, there are different paths and different futures and insights. Um, And that as we go down this road, you're saying, what does does the future look like? And I say, it's not just data, it's value that we add on top of it. You're gonna need these guys, but you're gonna need them as specialists, not specialists who are sitting in a manager role because that was the only perspective of their career um, evolving. So we're really committed to, to showing that there's those different paths that exist in insights. Um, and investing in that overall capability, but also in this, you know, this specific group that we have, which we call Ignite. You can't be that layer on top of data. You can't be that strategic partner. You can't increase that role of insights without ensuring that you're keeping the best people in the business.
0: I, I'm really glad you shared this because somewhere in the world, society decided that in order to be intellectually stimulated, grow your career and make an impact, you have to be the boss of people. And yep. what you just articulated is no. This is more than a linear path to being a director of insights. There's other ways to advance your skill set, make a bigger impact. Um, ironically, the person who uh, the person at Zapley who works on your business, Will Cooper, was a manager, and I realized he hated it. And I said, "What if you could just work with big customers all day?" And he's like, "Oh, that would be brilliant." And so it, 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 you have to invert it. But people have societal norms built up where they're like, "This is what I have to do," and I. I'll leave if I can't become a senior manager in two years. And it's like, well, actually, there's a lot more opportunity for you. Um, Kudos to you for that. That's huge.
2: So let's see how many buzzwords we can throw in, Ryan. So I'm going to throw the word purpose in here, but not (laughs) for the (laughs) brand. One of the things that we've done is actually work with those 15 to help them define what is their purpose. What what, what do they enjoy? What brings them joy? What do they love? And then trying to match that to them. So, therefore, where would you like to go? And it's kind of what you just said about will, you know, it's that idea of it doesn't have to be X. If it could be anything, what would it be? Um, and we've had some really revealing conversations where people have come back to us and actually said, right, I've been away. I've just come back off holiday. I've been thinking about that purpose. Um, I know what I want to do. Can we have a chat? Love it. And it's like, it's like bring it on because if we can have a conversation outside of those normal cycles and you get an idea about where people want to go, then you can plan with them if there's space in the business. And, and, and I think that, Giving people some of that power back, I think, is really key because, as you said, you know, you end up with people in management positions who don't want to be managers. You end up losing some of your best subject matter expertise because they will move somewhere else just for a bit more pay or, or for, you know, you've got to find a way that you can keep keep that evolution going and keep people kind of getting that enjoyment for what they do. So we've had a really big focus on that. Um, and again, it's something that we've had the support on from the business to kind of bring that that group to the fore. Um, and help develop them. So, you know, hopefully, you know, we're going to continue this for definitely at least for next year. Um, but it's something I'd like to see continue because, you know, if we're not growing good people in our industry, then, you know, what are we here for?
0: Yeah, it, it's yeah, it's it's all about people. I think if we've listened to this last 10 minutes, 10 years from now, I my hope is that every company works this way um, mm-hmm. because I think we're seeing this. I mean, you see all the, the resignation data, job switching, people not going back to work, taking the old manufacturing principles of management and expecting them to thrive in a hyper-connected, consumer-driven world is just not going to work. Um, and so the fact that you working for a massive enterprise are doing this, I'm leaving this conversation inspired right now uh, because these are the same things a small company like mine focuses on. Like, like hell yes. Kudos to you, man.
2: It's funny, but it's funny you it's the manufacturing thing because um, we're doing a presentation next week at a conference and our opening sequence is the opening sequence of Metropolis. You know where you've got like all these people marching towards the mines or whatever. <laughs> because, because we've been we've been commoditizing our own people um, for years and, then, and actually there was a really good quote from um and I, i'm going to pronounce it from, from stan 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 stanathan stan Nathan, um in a report that i read last week where he said clear. he said if you're not at the top table you're probably on the menu and the problem with uh, commoditizing insights is that that just leaves you hanging as a cost center and not a value um, and so the more we commoditize ourselves and that's not just from a client point of view but that's all through the chain and again having been in different areas i've seen that manifest itself in different ways if you commoditize yourself then you know you're you putting yourself in trouble and we can complain as much as we want about how the market's being nibbled away by other areas you know whether it's big data or consultancies but the more we step into commoditization the more we're driving it. You know, I don't believe it's outside forces necessarily driving that as much as it is ourselves.
0: No, I mean, it's it's funny you say that. Like when I left Cantar to join Zappi, my motivation was to free insights people from doing low value commoditized shit so they could do bigger things. It's taken till just recently for people to actually wake up to that. Because I remember in the first three, four years, I would be very frustrated because, it's like, oh my God, all I've done is perpetuated the problem. Now they can test copy the night before it goes on TV and not think at all, and and so I think uh, the time now is different. People are starting to realize, oh gosh, technology—if we deploy it correctly—helps us be smarter and more impactful, which is the point. <laughs> it isn't to be a commodity, right? I think um, that's that's really key. That's
2: where it's a use case back to my point, which is it's not
0: yes. technology, to
2: make a technology. It's not platforms to replace people. It's about what is it you're trying to answer? What's the value you bring to the business? And what's the best place solution for that? And sometimes that best place solution is in-house. Sometimes it's a combination of in-house and an agency. And sometimes you're better off throwing it over the wall and letting someone else do it. But unless you've done that evaluation by the use cases, you're spending your time in the wrong places. And you don't even know it because you haven't stepped back and done that review. So I think that you know,
0: that's the challenge. Absolutely. All right. So I wanted to get our bonus topic. James is on a committee with the MRS doing some incredible and, dare I say, provocative work, which I'm sure none of you are going to be surprised to hear, on the problems plaguing the sampling industry. James, can I invite you back to tell us where you got to in about six months so we can talk about this properly? It deserves more airtime than we have time for today.
2: Yeah, the only paraphrasing I'd say is I wouldn't paraphrase it as the um, the problems in the sampling industry. I'd say it's more about... Um, How do we as a collective make sure that we are bringing inclusivity, diversity, and true representation into what we do? And the reason that I just pick you up on that, Ryan, is having been on all sides of the fences, I've been a sample provider who's been blamed for everything. Now I'm a client who's being told it's my surveys that are the problem. So, you know, somewhere in between (laughs) us. Somewhere in between us and working together is where the solution is, right? Because there's no point me asking people to go and recruit better. And then the agency working for me or ourselves, we're not doing a better job. So... I think the aim is that through this initiative and a few other initiatives that I'm involved in is how do we put ourselves on the hook as an industry to ensure that the research we're bringing is by nature inclusive. Um, and I think we all know that today, unless you have a specific ask when you're scoping your survey, it's most likely that that doesn't happen. Yeah,
0: you're not wrong. You're not wrong. And the answer does lie in between the entire supply chain or continuum, as you said. Yeah. Right? The way yep. we recruit, the way we retain, the way we engage—there's um, th- there's opportunities everywhere. All right, so we'll have we'll have part two of our interview on <laughs> in season four. Um, James, thank you, man. This is honestly—I'm uh, leaving pumped up. Uh, so thank you, and, and for everybody in my audience, um, I'm sure you left with three pages of notes just like I did. Uh, but I can't thank you enough for for your willingness to share so much with us, James. I really appreciate
2: no it. No problem. Thanks a lot, Ryan. It's always great to talk to you. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers.
0: We ran out of time in that interview. It was very sad because I wanted to go to our special topic, which was all about representativeness of respondents.
1: Mm-hmm. We'll
0: probably have to have him back to talk bring
1: about it. Bring him that. back. I want to ha- I want to hear more from him. We got to
0: bring him back. It's funny, when you, when you do these interviews, you book an hour,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and sometimes you don't even need a half hour, but the good ones, the real good ones, you run out of time. Um, but that was awesome. I, as always, you do an incredible job of synthesizing. What, what were your takeaways?
1: I got, there was so much here, but I've got like about eight really important points that I want to talk about. Things that kind of blew me away that I'd love to talk to you about today. All right. The kind of, I uh,
0: I'm I'm looking forward to uh, it.
1: Let's go for it. So, I mean, other than the fact that he's an amazing person and incredibly interesting, I'd love to hear more stories about his 18 month trip around the world. I want to start with everything that I think is important for an insights person, which is who we're hoping listens, right? The first one, you asked him, what's the future of insights look like? I mean, that's like crystal ball time, but he did not shy away from, from your question. He said, going from being data-driven to being more than that. He he just he blew me away from the very beginning. He says, data itself doesn't actually answer anything. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't resonate with how he believes it. He says, you have to come with a strong point of view that is backed by the data. He used a sentence a few times during the interview where he talked about um, being data, data fueled, but insights driven. That's a beautiful sentence, something that I'm going to keep always focusing to myself, data fueled, but insights driven. So he talked about that. He said that the future looks about looks like building, linking the data sets when they're linked to a use case, not just having data sets, having linked data sets so that you work from the business use case back. Now that takes me to point number two that's completely, completely attached to that, which is what he talks about joined data sets. I admit that when he said joined data sets, I thought, I wonder what he means by that. And he says, It's also about taking responsibility for what people are going to be doing with that data. It's not just the recommendation, because, of course, you have the data, you have your insight, you have the recommendation. Take responsibility for that. And how do we do that? We enable knowledge sharing and knowledge management by joining data sets in a smart way. It's not just about creating a file folder and making sure everything's there. Make sure it's searchable and joined. So what does that mean? He says, when you were having your conversation about the morning routine, it's not about breakfast. It's not about vitamins. It's not about pain relief and toothpaste. It's about the morning routine because something that is happening in toothpaste or in breakfast might be useful to them at GSK for pain relief or for vitamins, right? So he said, the only way we're gonna know that is if there's osmosis, if it all blends in together and we're able to search it. So it's talking about key behavior, to being able to access the the data so that we can get insights because sometimes the insights are in plain sight. So the question that he says, the first action that should always be done is have the joint data set so that you can have your first question be, go see what we know already. What do we know already? And that totally resonated with me, totally resonated with me about that, starting with the business case. Number three, defining an insight. Oh my God, did I love that. It's not just about what the word insight means. It's about what the word insights means to the company he's in. Now, he couldn't give us the exact formula, of course. I
0: know. He, I was bummed. I yeah. thought I was going to get out of them. <laughs> he gave
1: us more than I expected. He gave us more than I expected. But, but we got so much learning just from what he shared. I mean, what is an insight? Everybody goes to the definition. But no, he says... No. What does an insight mean to us? What is, so When somebody comes and says, that's an insight, how are we going to be able to say to them, no, that's an observation or that's a data point? Well, that's really interesting, but it's not an insight. So he said about having a common description for insights, marketing, the vendors, the partners, senior management, managers, the C-suite, everybody. We'll talk about the C-suite in the next point, but he talked about defining and structuring what an insights mean for the company so that everybody mm-hmm. who comes with a piece of paper, a one pager, love that, says exactly what The idea is the insight so it's been pressure tested, how it's been pressure tested, who's going to share in it, who's interested in it so that it all is not bulletproof because insight shouldn't be bulletproof, but it's robust. And it's something that's going to be um, exactly what everybody expects an insight to be pre- pre- presented. So I'm sure that he's not allowed to tell us what his definition at GSK is, but every company can define what that means for them, so that they can all have the same definition. They can all look at how the insights are being used. It's all apples to apples. The insights will travel. Remember that knowledge management that I talked about in the previous point? Yes. Yes. It's going to be easier for insights to be able to catalog and looked at in the same exact way because they're going to be able to travel easier across the business. They're going to be doing that. And he talked about quantifying, taking ownership and responsibility for those insights. I said earlier, how many of new insight cards are there? How frequently are other people looking at? This is not about likes and dislikes. This is about use cases. How how many times has somebody read your insight? How many times have another has another business gone there? You know, all of this is testing the partnership with insights. So I thought that was amazing. Now, I talked about C-suite. You asked him a very pointed question, and and I I read more into the question, I'm glad he he took it at face value. But you said, you know, all this stuff that you're doing, is it because the C-suite supports you? And I love that question because many of our listeners might be saying, well, yeah, he had all the support from his CMO. But he said, yeah, that's true. I did have support from the CMO. You know, how did the C-suite buy-in come about, you asked him? Well, there are many things. You know, I'm successful, he understood, because I have C-suite supporting me, because I got hired to do this. But it's also from the bottom up. The bottom is himself and his CBIA team, right? Um, yes. he, said, he said, we have to take ownership. So yes, we have the support, but we have to come in with the desire to be consumer-led and consumer first, like everybody says, but doing it really. They call themselves a collective team, everybody together. So they work in the same direction, pushing different levers. But they, he says, we didn't wait for somebody else to define what that meant. We went out and defined it for ourselves. We went out and said what the reality of Ground up means to us. We took an 18 week project. We went and we analyzed the world and we went to define what a future insights organization looks like. And we took this 18 week journey together. We even invited, they even invited the marketing team, which I thought is fantastic, so that they were able to. I guess earned the trust that was already given to them by the c-suite and they stepped in the space and they owned it and they helped to revisit the innovation process for the company. They upskilled their own skill sets, they built that, those capabilities and they didn't wait for anybody to hand them the answer or to give them permission. They were brave enough and strong enough to, to step forward together as an insights function and not be the researchy researcher but be the proactive discovery confident researcher that they want, that they think that the future needs. So that was amazing. Now I'm going to jump yeah, the in. The
0: proactivity of that is like, was, I found super inspiring, particularly for an industry that gets, that gets sort of branded as introverted librarian types. Like, no, no, you guys are going to say, this is important. We're going to help you define it and set the tone. That's yeah. what the business needs is that partnership. And, but if we don't take it, well, yes. they're going to find somebody who will.
1: Yes. And I think it's amazing. He talked a lot about, about, um, commoditizing ourselves. Yes. Right? And that's something that's scary because we all who are in insights worry about being commoditized ourselves and we want to make sure that that doesn't happen. So the next thing he talked about is how he's not going to have that make that happen. He talked about capability building. It was amazing because everybody says they have a training program. They have an Academy, right? They talk about how they talk about answering the question. How do we get our people ready to fill the gap that we're creating that we that we want them to step into and to push forward. So they created an Academy to help, Um, create the insights professional of their future, of their immediate future. And um, it's all about how those people who are able to give advice, ready and able to give advice. Because he says, consultancies are taking business away from insights and we don't want that to happen. So the insights team at GSK doesn't want GSK to hire consultants to answer questions that they can answer. So he's actually empowering his team to go into processes, to go into meetings, into discussions, you know, innovation with the insights, the card ready and re- being ready to lead and be seen as a leader, which is amazing. Yeah. So he's making them in the training, key enablers in deep human understanding with always having not only just the understanding, but the forward action after the understanding, looking forward and finding the links. He says that in the training, they help to reinforce a human element on top of the data. So it's the data and what the human brings. He offers them the whole entire company, about 150 everybody's who attends things that help them in decision-making and and, and learn to, to the organization and insights for the organization. But then they take 15 high performers, high potentials, and they've developed an accelerated program for them that's all about, of course, with coaching and mentorship, but not training them to be specialists, to be people with a purpose, to help them define what their purpose is, what they enjoy in life, what brings them joy to do what they love and try to make make it the perfect match. They do that for those 15 people so they can keep them and they can keep, you know, using them throughout the whole company and keep them involving and getting that, that joy and bringing the joy to the company. Because one quote he borrowed from somebody else, so I'll repeat it here. If you're not at the top table, you're probably on the menu, which is scary. I've right? never
0: heard that phrase. I thought it's it is a scary phrase, but it resonated with me.
1: <laughs> well, it reminded me of you know how when you're you're clickbait and you say this is a report and you it's free here put your put your email here. You're the, it's not free. You're the price. You're, you're giving away all your, your yourself for, for the price. And that's similar to what this is. This is all about being at the top table. This is more than just leaning in. This is acting. So I really like that, right? And then I'm going to leave you with the second last. I have the last one, but there's a, there's a couple more that I think were important. He talked about democratization. Now you and I at work talk about democratization and we all know that's inviting the marketeers and the marketers in. He takes it a step further right he talks about not only inviting the market marketers to understand and to be able to do the insights. He talks about insights and marketing joining and driving together so that insights knows about marketing and marketing knows about insights and encouraging innovation in that way, encouraging both groups to to look around and play and look for new things and share. It, it, It talks about marketing, learning what insights and what research means and research learning where their insights go and how they're going to be used so that the balance of marketing and insights, people stepping together is what's going to take the company in a a, a, farther, it makes that partnership even better. That was amazing. And that's what's gonna, the next point, create the transformation of the function. Right. Yes. He talks about the transformation of the function not happening by osmosis. It's something that needs to be invested in. And all the previous points I just told you, those are all the investments that he's doing, that they're actually truly investing time, effort, blood, sweat, and tears. They're doing it early. They're doing it often. They're listening. They're showing intentions. They're setting KPIs because the insights people have to have KPIs as well right? They have to be accountable for everything. And he says, you have to start with fundamentals when you're doing a transformation of a function. We have the capabilities and we have all of that. We have the democratization, but both for the insights, people learning insights and marketing and marketing doing the other way around, you have to start with fundamentals. What are the cores of your business? What are the cores of your insights? What are the cores of how you're getting the insights, the tools? Focus on that. Once you get that right, you can move on to something else like storytelling, but first start with the fundamentals on both sides. So I thought that was amazing.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like the definitions, the intentions, but the, the, like it's all basic stuff, but so often we talk over each other and think we understand each other There's something. I, I think it, you know what, the thing for me that I think was most inspiring was the commitment to elevate people as like the central theme. I think people think about transformation equaling technology. And I, I know I went on this tangent during the interview, but I remember like early in our trajectory as a business being somewhat disappointed because- my hope when joining this business, when Steve started it, was to say, we're going to give you more time to be creative and think. And in some ways, I think the pennies dropping and businesses are moving. But I remember in those early years being like, oh, shit, we just perpetuated bad behavior. And it was like, uh, you know, that's <laughs> because technology alone isn't the answer. It's it's what exactly. we do with it, right?
1: And um, that leads me to the last point, what you just said. I couldn't have paid you for a better segue. <laughs> He said, and I'm, I leave this for all of us and the listeners to, to, to ponder it's not just the technology. It can't be just the technology. It's not that platforms replace people, it's that they enable people, it's that they help people. It's that all that knowledge organization and knowledge management that he talked about helps us reach the data so that we can get, generate an insight. All of that alignment of the insights is what gives us innovation, it gives us creativity, and it gives us the time because it does the heavy lifting to organize things. All those. democratization and the blended data sets helps us get ideas it's all about finding out what it is you're truly trying to answer and what's the value you're going to bring to the table because it's not technology replacing you it's technology empowering you enabling you making you stronger making you a better leader
0: so as always excellent summary this interview was incredible our dear listeners number one appreciate you Thank you for taking the time to listen to us. We have a lot of fun doing this podcast. It's a creative outlet for me. So I appreciate you taking the time to listen. I wanted to say uh, we're about halfway through the season, but my friends, we're bringing some heat for the rest of the season. We've got Jen Picard next up from Pernod Ricard, Steph Gantz from PepsiCo, a glimpse into me, which is going to be crazy because we're going to have my executive coach on, which is, uh, she's wonderful. Her name's Nora. Um, and there's a bunch of other interviews planned. so we're 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 quickly booking season three. It's almost done, believe it or not. Um, and we're gonna start to think about next year in season four. I want to hear from you. what do you what would be interesting for you? What do you want to learn? Who do you want us to talk about? What are concepts that would be useful for you? Please hit me up, hit Patricia up. We want to make sure that this this podcast is delivering value to you that you can bring to work the very next day. Um, we're not hard to find, so I won't give you 50 different ways. but If you could do me a favor, if the podcast has given you any value, please engage in the ratings in either the app store or Spotify. You guys all know how algorithms work. It helps us spread the word to more people. Um, So I would very much appreciate if we've given you any value, if you could just do me that small favor. Patricia, my friend, I'll talk to you soon. Kelsey, Judith, Katie, Ariel, Emma, all y'all behind the scenes, helping make Inside Insights great. Thank you, as always. Have a good day, everybody.
1: Ciao.